This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Pretoria Law in Tysons, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Brian Chandler, Pretoria Law, and Jason Miller, Edge. And we have a great lineup of guests for you on our show today, including L. Brown, founder and CEO of Kinder Jam, Tim Teal, president of Sixth Gen, Kate Perrin, CEO of Professional Solutions, and John Jolly, president and CEO of Security. Let's get to know our first guest. L. Brown, founder and CEO of Kinder Jam. L. what is Kinder Jam? What are you guys doing? Kinder Jam is an early childhood education, training, care, and enrichment agency. Mm, tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean? So when it works with training, we train educators to work better with young children. For care, we offer preschools and summer camps. And for enrichment, we offer group fitness programs for families and young children. Uh-huh. How large or how small is this organization? We have about 15 employees. And where are you from originally? I'm originally from Ocala, Florida. Alrighty. And tell me a little bit about how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one brother and two sisters. And where are you in the pecking order? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. And tell me a little bit about what was going on with you 8 to 14 years old. I was a bit turbulent then. Uh-huh. Tell me, uh, tell me what you mean by you were a little bit turbulent then. Uh, I moved. 28 times by the time I was 18 years old. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) We've done a lot of radio shows. We've done a lot of interviews. I've never heard 28 times you moved. Why did you move 28 times? Uh, My parents were really young when they had me, and in order to provide care, I moved from family to family throughout our town. Tell me a little bit about you moving from family to family throughout your town. What are you talking about there? Well, when my mother was 17 and she gave birth to me after a while, uh, she and my dad married. They couldn't take care of a child. My grandparents took me in when I was about four. She came back and I moved in with her. She wasn't really prepared to take care of a child. So I ended up going to a grandmother again, then to a paternal grandmother. And then my father came back when I was about six years old. And I eventually ended up moving in here with him and his, his new wife. How do you feel through all that stuff? Um, I learned navigational skills pretty quickly. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, when I would get to a new environment, I would learn to kind of scan my surroundings, figure out who the safe people are, what the roles that everyone played, and I would try to work my way in from there. What's that have to do with you building this business known as Kinder Jam? Well, now in Kinder Jam, uh, whenever I'm working with clients, I go in, I scan the room, I listen to what they have to say, and then I figure out everyone's position, and I make sure I give my clients what they want. All right, so one of the things you learn moving 28 times as a kid, wow, is how to figure out who's safe and mm-hmm. what's safe. What else did you learn? I also learned that if I look around the room, there will be uh, people that I could use as allies. And with those, uh, they would have characteristics that I could pull from to be better. Um, I also learned that wherever I go, uh, if I found my niche, that I could prosper. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I would have to make myself valuable wherever I went. 
what? Yeah, I mean, if people need you. They like you. They want you. You're all. You always have a place. You're telling me that you think you could have been successful no matter where you were. No matter where I was, I told my ex-husband once. I said, if you drop me here, and you come back six months, it'll be Elville. What do you mean? I mean that I would go that place. I would find out what they need, and I would become that person that would provide that thing that they need. I would become an invaluable commodity in that area. Brian, didn't you have a question along those lines? Well, I wanted I wanted to know originally when she started uh, taking this approach to things. When did she start organizing people and organizing things and learning learning her her audience or her customers? Um, like I've always been a hustler, so in middle school. Um, because I had a little more leeway because the parental lenience, I would get off the bus, go across the street to fulfill orders for nine laters and lemon heads and other candies that the kids wanted. And by lunchtime, I would mark it up a bit and take their money. So you were getting a sense of the, of the demand, and then you were filling it with the supply. Exactly. <laughs> oh, how old were you? I was about 10. Oh, who taught you how to do that? I don't know. It was innate. <laughs> It was innate to understand why people would need you. That goes back to your feeling safe that wherever you were in the country, you'd be safe. You'd be able to survive. Exactly. I was the candy girl. Uh-huh. Brian, what else are you thinking? Well, how did, how did you learn? What, what, I guess what skills uh, came to you to, to sort of uh, figure out what people need? Did you, is, it, is, it, is it the scanning you talked about? Is it, it is. your ability to communicate with them? It is. It's a scanning. So in school, someone had candy and other people were like, you know, give me some of that. Can I have some of that? And I was like, wait a minute. If I could supply that for it, they could just get it from me and I could make a profit off it. So you're good at noticing things and noticing cues, mm -hmm. right? So how does that relate to what you're doing now and learning things by, by, by looking for cues and signs? Okay. When I first started Kinder Jam, it was a curriculum program mm -hmm. but when I listened to my clients if they needed something then I would go into staffing they needed a personnel to fulfill a class I was like, I can do that mm -hmm. they needed someone to operate a preschool I can do that so I listen to what people need and if it's in my scope of service I then provide it and, and this sort of relates too about your ability to read the cues and read the signs even in your own life with, with your own children too mm -hmm. I think right I mean isn't that sort of what sort of gave rise to sort of the concept of kinder care? Most certainly. Um, I noticed very early, about 18 months, that my son was displaying developmental delays. Um, I'm a teacher by trade. Mm -hmm. Took him to the pediatrician. He wasn't seeing the same things I was seeing, so brought my baby home, and I was like, if I were in the classroom, what would I do? Teach, evaluate, assess, refer. Didn't have that infrastructure at home, so I created it. That curriculum became Kinder Jam, and then I realized um, prior to becoming a military spouse, I was a DOD teacher overseas, right, right, right. so I was like, military families need to know this, they need to know how to work with their children, so I then took kim Kinder Jam to MWR and started teaching it to military families. And that's, how, that's what gave birth to Kinder Jam. It is. Right. Jason? So uh, a couple things. One, um, how do you think that between the turbulent home life early on, the moving 28 times, the entrepreneurial spirit, and the, the people and things around you during that time frame, how do you think those things affected you in uh, creating the process that you use today within Kinder Jam? I believe in systems. I believe in a process. And I figured if I can teach parents and educators how to work with children, I can then provide children with safe places to learn, grow, and play. Okay. Um, in addition to that, I also understand that uh, your first recollection and memory of your father was approximately at the age of six. 
how do you think that influenced and affected you in the decision logic that you employ today? Uh, it comes out more personally than professionally, I think. Um, I have to be everything for my son. I want him to be a part. I want to be a part of his every memory. And I try to now, I guess it does go per professionally as well, because I now try to give parents the capacity to be that for their children as well. well give, give me that again. What do you mean? Um, I believe in family engagement. So family engagement is essentially empowering and enabling families to care for their children. So if there's something that I know, I feel like it is my responsibility to contribute that to families so they can then better their children. Because <clears throat> as a service provider, I'm only there for a short period of time. So the way I am, the gift that keeps on giving, if I increase the capabilities of parents who are there for the what lifetime. What do you mean you feel you have a responsibility? You're just running a business. Well, my business is my passion. My passion is my life's work, and it just so happened that I monetized it. But um, I do Kinder Jam because this, this, this is why God placed me on earth. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I mean, I know what it feels like to be unsafe, and I don't want any other child to feel that. So whatever part I can play to ensure that children feel safe, that's what I want to Tell do. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? Well, I mean that childhood is a time where people grow and develop and they come become the people who they're going to be and contribute to the world later. If that time is spent trying to navigate turbulence, then some children may never realize their full potential. And my job is to help children maximize their personal potential because that's going to then make us all part of a better world in the future. You think you're healing yourself by, heal by uh, helping others? Almost certainly. It's therapeutic, everything that I do. What are you talking about? Um, like when I talk to my son, I, I do the things for my child that I wish were done for me. And I teach teachers how to care for children in a way I wish teachers had cared for me. Hmm. What's the best part of your day? Um, the best part of my day is seeing my instructors care for children because at one point I thought that being a teacher would be the greatest gift, but then I realized teaching teachers is the greatest gift because then I impact every child that that teacher touches. Hmm, interesting. What, what, what's the website address of your organization? Um, Kinderjam.com. How do you spell that? K-I-N-D-E-R-J-A-M. Dot com. Dot com. What's your son's first name? Ricky too. Uh huh. And how's Ricky doing nowadays? He's thriving. <laughs> Why is he thriving? Why is he thriving? Because my son is on the autism spectrum, yet he has passed the math SOLs. He has co-authored a book with me, and he's just. Let me have the website address one more time. That's KinderJam.com. We've been speaking with Al Brown, founder and CEO of KinderJam, here on Executive Leaders Radio. And your name is Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver you know, 
anywhere from eight dollars uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down, and therefore multiplying the dollars and making one of it one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't ah interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm-hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm-hmm. parents, mm-hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. You've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you. This is John Shuhart. Join us, joining us for our Business Spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I. And we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people. And we treat them like, we think of them like like they're our our friends. So So we get to come in and and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our event, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, w- I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when did you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. I, I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is CelebrateFairfax.com. This is John Schuart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Tim Teal, who's president of 6Gen. Tim, what is 6Gen? What are you guys doing? So we're an IT company focused on offense and defense uh, security for uh, Department of Defense and commercial partners. How large or how small is this organization? About 35 people. And uh, where are you from originally? Baltimore, Maryland. And how many brothers and sisters, and where were you in the pecking order? I'm the youngest of four, so two brothers, one sister. Are you the youngest of four, two brothers, one sister? What was going on with you 8 to 14 years old? Uh, It was extremely chaotic in my life. What do you mean it was extremely chaotic in your life? What are you talking about? 
Well, I was raised by two alcoholic parents, and, uh, uh, you know, there was just a lot of turmoil in the household. Mm -hmm. What was the neighborhood like? Uh, it was uh, a lot of drug dealing and uh, very poor. Mm -hmm. So I guess you got involved in uh, sports? I wish I would have gotten in sports, but I actually got into computers before they became famous and sexy. Uh-huh. So what, when you were a kid, what were you thinking about as a kid? I spent a lot of time dreaming about what I could become in life. Wait, wait, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean? Well, as I started fiddling around more with computers, I became intrigued on how they worked, what made them function, things like that. So I started taking them apart and putting them back together. Okay. And what did that lead to? Uh, it led to more, uh, m more questions for me on, you know, how I could become a better person and put my plan together in my head and how I was going to escape out of this environment. So how did you escape out of that environment? Well, I decided to join the Navy, and I figured that would be the best path for me. Uh-huh. Did you think you were going to do well or poorly in the Navy? I wasn't quite sure. I didn't think I would do exceptional. Uh-huh. But what happened? Well, I ended up in school, and I did better than I ever thought I would. Uh-huh. All right. Why? Well, because it became a little bit of a competition there, because I had folks that were... Uh, some some from the same kind of environment that I came from and we all had kind of the same dreams together Brian, why don't you take it from here? Well, you said earlier in the green room that you didn't think you did particularly well in school before you were in the Navy Is that is that accurate? That's super accurate. I was bored in school. I wasn't quite sure uh, I didn't really fit there Right and the students that surrounded you did, did you feel a good energy off of them? Do they have a, a help motivate each other? No, I don't think anybody there really wanted to be there. It was, uh, it was because of the neighborhood environment. Nobody seemed to be happy to be there. And then you went to cryptology school when you went to the Navy, right? You did, you did well on, on the entrance exam? Uh, I ended up taking the ASVAB, and, and uh, they told me that I scored very well on it. And then, and then you were able to, to enter cryptology school? I and, did. And what was the difference in the student bodies that you experienced in cryptology school relative to your previous academic um, experience? Everybody there was super motivated to be there. Uh, you know, I noticed again that it became like a little bit of a competition. So we were all having fun together. So you all fed off of one another? We did. We made it into a competition. Okay. It, earlier in the green room, you also said that a lot of your early experiences, um, although you said you learned a lot from your father as well, but a lot of your other experiences sort of taught you what not to do as opposed to what to do. Could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I learned a lot from leaders. Uh, just They didn't seem to take care of people the way that I think they should be taken care of. Um, and so I observed um, the kind of treatment that they would, you know, kind of the oversight they would provide and learn not to do that. And so they, they, they resulted in dysfunctional teams, I guess, and dysfunctional environments. That's right. I like to, I like to uh, figure out who to surround myself with uh, share a common goal together um, and then empower folks to actually do the best that they possibly can and get out of their way. Mm -hmm. Jason? So uh, as I understand it, <coughs> you had quite the tenure as a bricklayer uh, in your childhood. Yeah, how uh, young, is that accurate? How, yeah, how, how young were you? Uh, your father's business was bricklaying, wasn't it? It was. My dad and my uncles all did the trade and, uh, you know, they wanted me to do it or at least I thought they, they did, but uh, 
they worked me so hard I didn't realize my dad actually didn't want me in that trade at all. How young were you when you started working with your dad? As soon as I could start walking. And what were you doing at five or six or seven years old in terms of bricklaying? I was carrying bricks, blocks, mixing, they call it mortar, but cement, whatever it took to help them. And how long did you do that for? Uh, until I went off to the Navy. So you had a pretty cushy job there, huh? Uh, I wouldn't exactly say that. What do you mean? Uh, I don't know how many brick or block you've dealt with uh, in 90 degree weather on a scaffold, but it isn't exactly what I'd call fun. Uh-huh. So uh, they worked you pretty hard, huh? Uh, yes, sir. They worked me real hard. My dad made it a point to work me extra hard. And why do you think he did that, and what do you think you learned from that experience? Well, I think he worked me extra hard because he felt that, uh, well, he didn't want me to be a bricklayer. He felt that I was a little bit smarter than doing that trade. I see. Um, I understand, Jason, that at one time, Tim actually hired you. Tell me a little bit about what your first impression of Tim was when he first hired you. Uh, super friendly, straight shooter. Mm-hmm. A super friendly, straight shooter. And tell me, how long did you guys work together? Several years. Uh-huh. What was your... So after working several years together, what did you really learn about him? That if you can point uh, him at a target, that the target will get hit. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Uh, you can entrust that you, if you've given anything over to him, if it's in support of you being able to do your job or it's something you need him to do... He will do either to fulfill the success of the team. Nothing's beneath him or above him. So uh, we, we definitely worked very well together as a team. Uh-huh. Uh, wh what did you learn from Tim? I would say I learned how to uh, maneuver within the political rigmarole of the federal government. Mm -hmm. And Tim, t tell me a little bit. Where did you learn this stuff? How did you learn this stuff? I learned it by watching others and things that you really shouldn't do or how you should actually... Uh, approach things um, also it's just human nature I just want to take care of people what what are you talking about well I believe um, that some folks what they really just need is somebody to believe in them even when they don't believe in themselves tell me more about that where'd that come from uh, it's just uh, something that's within me I I see the qualities in some folks that sometimes they don't even see in themselves uh, what Tell me more about that. What, what are you talking about? Well, uh, you know, some people don't believe in themselves. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, I see the quality. And then what I'll do is I'll, I'll give them something that they can work on that's uh, kind of there. And it'll push them so they can see it for themselves. Why'd you hire Jason? Uh, Jason's amazing. He's, uh, he's got all the qualities that, that I was looking for to help me. Uh, move along. Did uh, Jason? Back did Jason then, have? Did Jason have that confidence? Uh, he had some of it, but not all of it. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Um, I don't even think he understood what his potential was at that point in life. But you understood it. I understood what was possible with Jason. What do you mean? Uh, I understood that if I gave him a target, that he would most definitely not just hit it, but he would go far above that target for me. Mm -hmm. Jason, what was your question? So I understand there may have been some uh, influential family dynamics you said to your, uh, you know, your brother enlisted in the Navy and that kind of influenced you. Your father, albeit you were in a uh, tumultuous uh, area and uh, it wasn't the best neighborhood, your, your father, even with the, the limited tools, uh, was able to positively influence you.
Um, was there anybody else in your family or neighborhood that did the same? Uh, my brother definitely uh, had some influence on me. He was off in the Navy, and I saw him making something out of himself and kind of, you know, building his own brand and doing the things uh, that he wanted to do. But it also, uh, you had mentioned that uh, even though you did uh, well on your ASVAB, et cetera, you still felt like you weren't quite sure how you would do in that environment. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I think anybody who uh, sometimes is an overachiever uh, is never quite satisfied with what they're doing, uh, and you're always striving to be better at whatever it is that you're, you, you're set your goals out to be. Huh. How young were you when that began to show up? Uh, I'm not quite sure, but it was definitely at a very early age. Mm -hmm. What's the website address of this organization known as 6Gen? Uh, so it's www.sixgen.io. Let me have that one more time. www.sixgen.io. We've been speaking with Tim Teal, president of 6Gen here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Want help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events through art uh, through a happy hour mm -hmm. you don't know what's going to come out of that mm -hmm. that's what's exciting so it's all about the people and you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? hell no it's a lot longer uh -huh. than that baby so do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that sure sure let me have the website address of this sure, organization bid.com and, and you can download boston connect mobile app let me have uh, let me have that website address one more boston time. bid.com 
It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Kate Perrin, CEO of Professional Solutions. Kate, what is Professional Solutions? What are you guys doing? Professional Solutions is the Washington area's first and still only public relations temporary staffing agency. Tell me more about what you're doing there. We are like a typical temp agency, except we only work in the field of public relations, communications. Our temps are all people to do writing, media relations, social media, press event coordination. Hmm, interesting. And uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Manhasset, Long Island. And uh, how many brothers and sisters, and where were you in the pecking order? I was the oldest of four. The oldest of four. And I understand you told me that you were an only child until you were four years old, and then your parents adopted two kids, and then your parents had twins. So all of a sudden, you were like... It was a crowded household. Uh, I had older parents, quiet life, uh, everything very calm until... Basically, a rodeo was unleashed in, in the house. <laughs> and tell me a little bit how that made you feel. Um, a little overwhelmed. Uh, I think I withdrew a bit. I became an even more devoted reader, loved fiction, loved stories, escaped into that. Tell me more. What, 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 tell me more about what that led to, what that was going on, and so on and so forth. Uh, loved reading, as I say, and those stories were things I could then share elsewhere and found that despite the... the hectic household uproar um, I used it to make friends elsewhere how tell us how I would share the stories I had been reading short stories link, book length and so even if I was on a sports team um, on breaks when our side of the team might be off the field I would start sharing with my teammates these stories so every time people came back from their turn at bat or whatever they wanted to know the next chapter and it really brought me a wonderful interaction of being able to be a storyteller and and find that it gained me friends. What's that have to do with what you're doing nowadays? PR, communications of all kind, is telling a story. Um, whether it's your cause, whether it's your business, whether it's, you know, what shaped you, it's all storytelling. Who's next? So uh, <coughs> you had said earlier in the uh, green room that you have two full-time staff, but you have up to approximately 60 people in your resource house. Yes, we always need to have more uh, skilled temps available than are actually in the field at that moment because we don't know what the next assignment is going to be and what combination of both skill set and content we are going to be asked to provide. So, so you also said that you organized quite a few groups and uh get-togethers and such with your friends when you were younger. Yes. How do you think those things influenced your ability to manage such a fluctuant workflow within your business today? Um, I've always been an, an organizer, it's true. Um, and as kids in the neighborhood, uh, although my household was crammed at that point, there were not that many other kids in the neighborhood. But I organized the ones that we could find for blocks around so that we had organized kickball games, picnics, various activities we did throughout the summer. Um, and that continues to this day. In addition to my business, I have a group of colleagues called the Boss Ladies, other women business owners, and we get together for lunch and such. So you, who organized this group? The Boss Ladies? Yes. Me. Isn't that surprising? <laughs> me, what was the, uh, how many people, how many folks are involved in the Boss Ladies? Uh, there's about six of us now. Uh-huh. And why do you do that? Um, 
we all met through various professional societies. We hit it off. We found we shared a number of interests, um, both professionally and just for fun. But so why do you why do you waste time with something like that? You're the smartest person on the team, and you're the CEO. You don't need anybody I am else. By no means oh. the smartest person on the team, and we all learn from each other. We have shared business experiences, challenges, oh. solutions. Um, oh, I don't creative read that new ideas. Uh, yeah, I don't read that in the newspapers about CEOs. So I, that's interesting to me. Okay, so I, uh, sorry. Yes, Jason. That's okay. Um, <coughs> so. You said you went from being essentially an only child to, uh, I believe you said a rodeo. Yes. <laughs> so w with that being said, uh, how did you develop structure within so much chaos and how did that influence you in your business today? Um, my mother was very organized, but I also was very active in Girl Scouts, and I loved that experience, um, being part of a group, being part of a team. There were always goals. There were new things to learn, new experiences, and I think it really helped as I learned to earn badges, um, hit particular targets along the way. It just showed me the value of structure and everything. Mm -hmm. so, so with that being said, <coughs> it sounds like you were able to take your passion and monetize it. Uh, how do you think you were able to do that? I was lucky. I was inspired later by a wonderful series of radio ads from account temps that made me think, oh, people who are professionals are also available to be temporaries. I had never thought of this before. But like I think many people, I was also a connector. I was already informally putting together people looking for work when a colleague had an opening. And I thought, I can do that for PR. Um, after a short amount of time, the light bulb went off and I gave my employer two months notice I said I'm leaving at the end of the two months to start a, a business later my employer became a client mm -hmm. Brian so uh, you, you talked about how in your younger creative writing and storytelling was very important to you but also later that you found out perhaps your real strong suit was more editing relative to writing and so really it looks to me and you could t maybe talk a little bit about this how your career has been a drive to sort of meet the balance between your creative side and your in your in your editing your your detail oriented planning side um, I think that's absolutely true. I always have wished in many categories to be more creative than I think I actually am. But I'm good at taking disparate pieces and putting them together and to make something else. Um, I thought I would be turning into a great novelist. My dad said I'll pay for college, but not for creative writing. You have to have a saleable skill. I turned it into journalism. I thought I'd become a great reporter, but I discovered I could write an okay news story, but I actually could take somebody else's news story and really make it better as an editor. So I think that's how many of us get ahead um, and build our lives, is by taking each experience and adapting as we need to with the tools we have at hand to the next stage that we'll do better in. Which is sort of a type of creativity in and of itself, it seems. That's flattering. Thank you. <laughs> well, the, the, well, the ability to, to edit a story, right, or edit something in order to tell the story you think that needs to be told, I mean, is that part of the creative process? It, it is, but it's learning to do it in a much more lean way. I used to tell staff who were writing for me that they would have to pay me a nickel for every word I could take out without changing the meaning of their copy. So this, 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 uh, your love of, of putting disparate pieces together... Isn't that the same thing as understanding what a potential employer needs in terms of the employee? It is, because people bring different things to the table. It is one of my frustrations sometimes with clients when they tell me what they need, and I come back to them with a person that I think will be perfect for them, will be fabulous. But it may not look exactly 
the way they have pictured it, somebody's experience. But I say, this person is adaptable, they're creative, they are smart, and they will hit the You're ground You're telling running. me that you know this world so well that when a, a client may explain to you what they think they need, you may actually have a better sense of what they really need? Sometimes, and it's my job to try and gently guide them to see that they have more potential there. So as opposed to what sometimes happens <coughs> with other staffing firms where they're just throwing people at an employer and then it really gets the employer upset because they have no clue, you're, you're, you're really trying to help educate the client. You're really talking because you really know this world, don't you? Yes, I worked in PR before I started this, and so I understand the process. And what I'm looking for is not a win-win, but a win-win-win. I need the client to get what they need to achieve success. I need my temp to be happy and find that to be a good work environment. And then I succeed by having had a good client relationship. Why, why do you care about the... I can understand why you want to keep the client happy because they're signing the check. Why do you care about keeping the temp happy? Your employees are the most valuable part of any business, and it certainly is true for me. They're not only my product, but they are smart, savvy, wonderful people. And they need to know that I appreciate them, that I value them, that even a criticism from a client, I will defend them uh, w as far as anything is reasonable, and make them know they are part of a team. Wow. So it sounds to me like you're the kind of employer that if you're representing me, you're really representing me. You understand who I am. And if you think that I'm the right person for the gig or if you think the employer is wrong, you're willing to stick up for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you you really understand. You really want to understand what the employer needs as well as what the employee needs to really make to match those disparate pieces together. And you're willing to voice your opinion. Yes. I actually had a call once from a potential client who was the new uh, president of, of a medical specialty group saying, we need more publicity. And my first question to her was, why? What's the website address of your organization? We're www.prstaffing.com. Let me have that one more time. www. PRstaffing.com. We've been speaking with Kate Perrin, CEO of Professional Solutions here on Executive News Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Chuck Ockeltree. And Chuck, what organization are you with? The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special? The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, it's not a traditional hotel. Mm -hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm -hmm. because of our size, mm -hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the, the corporate 100, corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm -hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm -hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about and you personally? What, what do you enjoy about your job? I enjoy that, that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in mm -hmm. uh, the two and a half years, mm -hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center uh, from where it was in mm -hmm. 2014 with Excellent. the new, uh, new ownership. We've literally doubled the revenue. And so. what's, your, what's your role in the organization again? Uh, my role is Chief Marketing Officer. And what's that mean? It, good question. It means that uh, 
Uh, we're involved with branding, mm -hmm. uh, everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and uh, the business development. So you're actually going out there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And sir. I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable. We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, events What's as well. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me have that one more time www.conferencecenter.com. This has been your business spotlight. Hi, this is Sherry from Hummingbird Market in Tucson, Arizona. I have some great news for those of you who like hummingbirds. Hummingbirds are the most loved and easily fed birds in the United States. Attracting these flying jewels into your yard is accomplished by using the proper nectar and feeders available from Hummingbird Market. Hummingbird Market has revolutionized hummingbird nutrition. We scientifically formulate hummingbird nectar made with all-natural plant sugars that most closely replicate nectar from Mother Nature's flowers. It hydrates and energizes the hummingbird with the essential sugar-blended nutrients it requires for proper nutrition, which keeps them coming back to your yard. Hummingbird Market is your preferred source for hummingbird-approved feeders, nectar, and accessories. Disconnect from your technology, gadgets, and daily obligations, and discover the natural beauty of hummingbirds. Want help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow Assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. To hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce John Jolly, President and CEO of Security. John, what is Security? What are you guys doing? We are an enterprise software product company. Um, we enable security teams to coordinate and automate response to cyber threats. How large or how small is this organization? We're about 20 people and growing rapidly. And uh, where are you from originally and how many brothers and sisters and where are you in the pecking order? I grew up in Severna Park, Maryland. I was the oldest of three siblings. I have two younger sisters. Uh-huh. So tell me what was going on with you 8 to 14 years old. 
Um, eight to 14, so for me, uh, that would have been third grade to ninth grade. I started school pretty early. My parents sort of pushed me out of the house. Mm -hmm. um, so I was sort of being bored in school. I was playing sports, um, playing a uh, little involved with music, and, uh, and just trying to enjoy life. Mm -hmm. Who's got the next question? Brian, Jason? Well, uh, you talked about how uh, when you were younger, you enjoyed certain team uh, elements like the Boy Scouts, right? Uh, you want to talk to us a little bit about the Boy Scouts and, and what what you ended up doing uh, in your Boy Scout tenure? So, so I was involved in the Boy Scouts th from the time I was pretty young as a Cub Scout till I was out of high school, and and I wound up uh, being the senior patrol leader for the troops. I was the the uh, youth leader who organized camping trips and meetings and ran meetings and things like that. And then also, but you, but you also said in the green room that school, the academic aspect of school, was not that interesting to you at that stage in your life. No, I wasn't particularly motivated as a student in high school. It, but at some point, you did become motivated, but it was after high school? It was after high school and college. Uh, I went to college, not really very well prepared for it, um, uh, A, because I was 17 when I started college, and I didn't have the study habits. So I uh, didn't do great my first year. Uh, my parents pulled me back to community college, and then I wound up finishing at University of Maryland. And if you could talk a little bit about the transformation of how you became an interested student. Did you, did you learn, did you become interested in certain topics, or did it become uh, more relevant to you in some manner? I think two things happened. First of all, I became interested in computers and computing, and the second thing was it became more for me and less for, um, less because my parents wanted me to. It just became about me finding a challenge that I wanted to go, an objective that I wanted to go succeed at. Jason? So, uh, <clears throat> you know, you, he had mentioned uh, in the green room, you, you had said, uh, you were the patrol leader and all these things within um, within the Boy Scouts, and um, you had also mentioned that teams aren't always perfect. So your Boy Scouts through college, anything you inter interacted with, and now in your business today, how do you think that the way you lead and uh, the way you run your business is influenced by the uh, acceptance that your team will never be perfect? Well, I think a you have to accept it'll never be perfect. Um, B, you have to understand what motivates people, and then you have to have uh, get them to coalesce around a vision and then uh, lead towards that vision and, and lead with humility towards that vision. Mm -hmm. I understand as a kid you were involved with the clarinet and you were also involved with football, but they both evolved. And it, it just seemed to me, I could be wrong about this, that if you can't master something, you're going to move on to something you can master. Am I right or wrong about that? Um, I, you're right about that. Uh, you know, I love football, but I quickly realized um, I wasn't going to be big enough to play football. I was not a big kid. Um, and so I moved on to golf. And then in music, I wasn't particularly good at the clarinet. And so I dropped it for a while. And later in life, I, and I now play guitar. So something I'm much better at. I mean, you know, now it's interesting. You know, you're, you're building a substantial business. And, uh, you know, the, the, the folks that funded the business brought you in to take it to the next level so you, they know that you're a winner. But isn't this thing about leaving something losing? I mean, this thing about not keeping with the clarinet and not keeping with football, or am I mistaken about that? I, I, I didn't hear the question. Well, I mean, the fact that you didn't stick with the clarinet and you didn't stick with football, is that a losing characteristic or is that a winning characteristic? No, I think it's about picking challenges and, and uh, finding things you can succeed at. What do you mean? Tell me more. Um, in life, you have to uh, understand what you want to do and what you're good at and then orient yourself towards that. 
And, you know, in, in my life, one of the things that I learned, I started out um, in very large organizations, started out working for the government, then for large companies. But ultimately, a, a few years back, upon some self-reflection, I realized the most fun I'd ever had in my life was leading small teams of software developers. And, and that led me to make a career change. That led me to come back and, and to do what I'm doing now, which is leading a, a smaller team of people that are doing something that really matters. So you realized that something was meaningful to you or you were good at something? What, what's that all about again? I, th I think I realized what gave me the most value, what made me get, want to get out of bed every morning and go to work was leading a smaller team of people, going to do something that changed the world. Huh. Uh, what's that have to do with you being bored in school? Um, well, I think bored in school was just the artifact of being a, a teenager in the 70s and 80s and uh, with... Uh, and, and not just being sure what I wanted to do yet, and not having had the exposure uh, that that I needed to get to figure out what I wanted to do. Wait a minute, wait, wait. Are you telling me that sometimes exposure should come before education because education without the exposure means we're sitting there not really wanting to be there? I think it's without, without context. The uh, exposure and figuring out what you're passionate about, what you want to do, gives your whole life context. Tell me more about that. Well, I think it's, it's, you know, I have three children now. I think about, with my children, how do I help them find what they're passionate about, right? If, if once, you point, once you find what you're passionate about, then you can point somebody at it. It's a very powerful experience. What's the matter what they're passionate about? They need to earn a living. They need to be able to pay the mortgage. Go get a job. There's no point in, in getting up out of bed every day to go do something you're not happy at. So you try to help your kids identify what turns them on and then support them into it? That would be the goal, yeah. What's the similarity between being a father and being a CEO, the similarity? Um, it's about helping your team find what they're passionate about and what they're good at and um, you know, getting them pointed in the right direction. It's That's really about helping those people understand what they can do. Is there a similarity between being a dad and being a CEO? Absolutely. Tell me more about that. I, I, you know, it's, it, it really comes down to how do you... Um, how do you help them organize? How do you help them think? Um, you don't have all the answers, but you could ask open-ended questions, and, and you could help your team uh, focus around a vision. Hmm. Starting school early, was that good or bad for you? Uh, it, both. I think it's tough when you're the youngest in your class, but I think it enables, you, if you get through it, right, you bring a persistence and a resilience to, to life. Uh, because it's always harder when you're the when you're not the, um, when you're the youngest when you're not the biggest kid in class, right? So when you were the youngest kid in class, what kind of difficulties did that create? Um, it, you know, it's it, it just I wasn't as emotionally mature, um, and it was just a it was a real challenge at times just to push through it. I just wasn't um, I wasn't ready for college when I went to college. Huh? How did you push through it? I found something I loved to do. And what was that? It ultimately, it was about uh, for me. It was about computer science and and learning about computers and and um, you know th also something that I could focus on that was more a little bit more of individual activity at that point in time. Ah, because the group was a bit older than you, and you know the boys were different and the girls were different, so the individual stuff would make sense. And it ended up being computers, but at the same time, you were involved with Boy Scouts, and you so it's through the course of time you really took on leadership of that troop. Am I correct about that? It's, it was through the course of time, but I think, you know, at the time I was involved with Boy Scouts, right, there's a, there's a component of leadership and, and lessons you learn from that. But at that age, a lot of it's about learning how to organize, right? Uh, you know, it, it takes time, and 
Um, and you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone over time to become a good leader. Well, you were naturally out of your comfort zone being the youngest one in your class, weren't you? Yes. Uh, so you, you learned coping skills at an early age. That's the resilience stuff you learned at an early age. Um, let, let me ask you a question. This business, how high is up? How high is up? Mm -hmm. I, I think we have the ability to change the way um, most enterprises today uh, look at and respond to cybersecurity events. So you're, you're really pretty driven. Very driven. Where's that drive coming from? Um, just doing something that makes a difference, right? Creating value. Creating value for my customers, creating value for the people in my life. How young were you when you were doing that? Um, I started out um, working as a, as a teenager and... Doing what? My first job was giving tours in Annapolis in the historic district for a dollar an hour. How young were you? Thirteen. What were you doing? What did you do different than the other kids that were giving those tours? Uh, I was really focused and attentive to detail, and so I gave a really good tour. I knew um, all the details about the, you know, it's a, it was a lot of learning and a lot of effort. So you really put a lot of effort into it. You focused on it. I did. Same thing, it, sound like, it sounds to me like when you put your mind to something, you really focus on it. What's the website address of this organization? We are security.net, www.syncurity.net. Let me have that one more time. Security.net. And how do you spell it? S-Y-N-C-U-R-I-T-Y. Net. We've been speaking with John Jolly, President and CEO of Security, as well as we've had the opportunity of speaking with L. Brown, Founder and CEO of Kinder Jam, Tim Teal, 6th Gen, Kate Perrin, CEO of Professional Solutions, and again, most recently, John Jolly, President and CEO of Security. I would like to thank my co-hosts, including Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Brian Chandler, Pretori Law, and Jason, Jason Miller, Ziage, for giving me hand-structuring the questions Hope of providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders, our executiveleadersradio.com. And the website address for our host today, Pretori Law, is? It's PretoriLaw.com. That's P-R-O-T-O-R-A-E.com. And thank you for joining us today and have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.